you very much, all those on the platform. I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. And we want to believe God to stir us, challenge us, and help us tonight. I want to talk about God's church. It involves the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there is no disputing that. But it is God's church. And the church is God's institution that he has ordained to be the vehicle of his expression in the earth. Now, the New Testament knows nothing of any sustained move of God outside of God's church or the body of Christ, okay? And more and more today, there is an anti-church movement among professing Christians. And let me just say this up front. The New Testament knows nothing of a Christianity outside of the church. This Christianity without a commitment to a church body is not a movement that is inspired by Scripture. They did a a little study and they found that less than 20% of the people in this country now attend a church on a regular basis. And they said that it is said that America is a Christian nation, but the empty pews have been calling that claim into question. One self-identified pastor from North Carolina named John Pavlovitz said, Relax, Christians. You don't have to go to church. Now, the trend seems to be moving away from God's ordained means of living for Him and reaching the world for Him, which is the church of Jesus Christ. Now, people have all sorts of reasons, and I will uh, give you a little heads up. I'm going to cover that more in a coming sermon. will be the follow-up to this. It will be coming very shortly to you. But what I want to touch on tonight are the criticisms and complaints that people have against God's church as the reason that they back off or back out or quit attending altogether. And I want to uh, read one verse of Scripture, Matthew 16, verse 18, very familiar Scripture. And also I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to preach a sermon called The Church, God's Masterpiece. And I want to first consider the church, God's institution. Now, in our text, Jesus highlights the church not only as his own, but as the means by which he will express his redemption and power in the earth. Now, God is intimately connected to the membership of his church. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleases. So God personally oversees the process of gifting and calling in a congregation. And he oversees the placing of individuals into Particular congregations. The thing I want you to get from this is the church is God's institution. God is more involved in his church than most people give him credit for. We 
we do have to say this, that if we don't leave room for God to have expression and influence, it will all become about our talent, our genius, our governing abilities, and then it may not be so much of God at work after all. You'd be surprised how much that the church world is in that direction. And I was explaining to somebody, I don't know if it was last night or this morning in my office, about the balance that we, we come to and what we're trying to accomplish as churches in ministry. On the one hand, you know, you need people that show some aptitude or skill in what they're doing for God in the church, but but we don't want at the same time to kill true desire and hunger to do something from God that it all has to be just this perfect thing that works out so awesome and everything always turns out so good uh, because what happens if we're not careful is we begin to take away the Holy Ghost influence and we interject us. See, the church is God's. Jesus claims the ownership in our text when he says, I will build my church. And so the church is God's idea. It wasn't some grand thing that we decided to do. It's not man's. Men did not invent the idea of having church. Now, God has already given the blueprint for the church based upon his purpose. And it all began and begins with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, I have the vantage point of having been saved in a pioneer church that when I got saved, there were like four people in the church. There wasn't a lot going on there. There certainly wasn't a lot of talent or ability. It wasn't anything overly dynamic for sure. But one thing that happened to us early on is we got baptized in the Holy Ghost uh, and you tell, our four turned into six, turned into ten, turned into twenty, and there was a Holy Ghost element there. That's where the church begins. And wherever the baptism of the Holy Spirit is absent, the church now becomes hijacked by men as a human institution. Now you need to understand what I just said, because that means a lot. Now, I didn't realize, and I, I said this uh, yesterday or whenever I said it, that I'd let someone in ministry that wasn't baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that a big deal? Because without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are functioning on what we can do minus the unction that the Holy Spirit provides. We rely on the Holy Spirit. Now, the church is what God is doing. The church is the most glorious institution in all the earth. The church and the initial idea of the church actually goes all the way back to the Old Testament. In the King James Version of Acts 7.38, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness, talking about the children of Israel, with the angel which spake to him in the Mount of Sinai, with our fathers who received the living oracles given to us. So he talks about those people that Moses was leading. Uh, and when God instituted uh, his word beginning uh, with the Ten Commandments, he called them the church in the wilderness. So this was already in God's plans way, way before the New Testament. God was instituting the idea of the church all the way back then. There's a man named Philip Schaff. He's the author of... 
of the History of the Christian Church series, fantastic series, and he's speaking on terms of the church and the kingdom of God. He says, this is the grandest and most comprehensive institution in the world. As vast as humanity and as enduring as eternity, all other institutions are made subservient to it. See, God cannot and will not accomplish his will without his church. That was the whole idea that, think about the whole New Testament is letters to churches. So that ought to give you some context to what the Bible is promoting here. So in our text, this very premise is highlighted that Jesus is not only instituting the church, but he's making his statement that the church will be my vehicle for my will and for the supernatural in the earth. Now, the foundation of that church is laid upon Jesus Christ and the revelation that he is God in the flesh. Because when we come to this portion and Jesus makes this proclamation, he's actually doing this in response. Because Peter had come and in Matthew 16, they go to Caesarea Philippi. And this was a place where they would offer their children, I believe it was uh, to the god Molech. Uh, and uh, uh, we, we, when we, I went to the church of uh, Israel, I, I got to stand there. And you look down and it was a long drop to where a river was. And they would take their babies uh, and throw them down and offer them to their God. Uh, and uh, up in this mountain were, were enclaves of, of idols and all sorts of demonic workings. And this was a major stronghold of hell. Jesus stood there when he said the gates of hell will not prevail. And it was there that he said to Peter... Uh, uh, in Matthew 16, 13 through 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he said to ask the disciples, saying, Who do men say I am, the Son of Man am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist and Elijah, others Jeremiah. So you notice, oh, he's a good man, he's a teacher, he's a prophet, right? All the things people say today. He said, But who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, You are Christ. The son of the living God. And Jesus said, you hit it on the head, Peter. And it's upon that rock. It's upon that revelation that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. 100%. He said, that's what I'm establishing my church upon. And with that, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid but Jesus Christ. And Paul picks up and listen to what he says in Galatians 1, 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what, what we, you have received, let him be accursed. So what all of this is referring to is that the gospel establishes the preeminence that Jesus is first in all of creation, the preeminence of Christ. It establishes that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. And I do not have time to go into a lesson for you, uh, although I'm heavily considering preaching a doctrinal sermon in the coming days that involves this, which is very important for you. But literally, God in the flesh... This was the revelation that Peter came to Jesus and said, and he said, on this rock, I'll build my church. Uh, the rock of this revelation, the immovable rock, 
the foundation stone. And with this, the church was birthed. In Acts chapter 2, it was consummated by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And history records the preservation of the church of Jesus Christ, the, the bride of God, the apple of God's eye. This is what God is doing. He's gone out of his way not only to establish his church, but to preserve it. Now, let's now talk about the imperfection of God's church. I just painted this almost heavenly picture. And then you're looking around like, okay. So let's talk about the imperfection of God's church. There is absolutely nothing at all perfect about God's church. I'm in 100% agreement with you. Okay, so we're good. And it makes no sense to me on a personal level, imperfect people looking for the perfect church. You know what it really comes down to? It comes down to people looking for a place where self-will can win out, a church that doesn't get into any of your business or hold you accountable for anything. Now, I'm not going to divert off on that thought, but I just wanted to throw that out there. But let's think about this. Because God chose the lower end of society to represent his church. Now this doesn't mean that he wouldn't like the higher echelons of society. But Jesus said they have a problem. They serve other gods. So think about this. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-30. You see your calling, brethren. Not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. The base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. The things which are not bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh would glory in his presence. Because God never wants the tension to divert to anything else but him. So here's the reality of the makeup of God's church. And more and more, it is the dysfunctional elements of society that become the church of Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of our fellowship. It's because we're not looking for the high and the mighty, the high rollers. If God is able to save them and bring them in and establish them and they can be a blessing, thank you, Jesus. That's not what we're looking for. And it's amazing how quickly and for such small matters that people will decide to leave a church. It's just amazing. There are segments of people that sit in the congregation that are disillusioned due to the fact that the church has problems and it involves problem people. Well, that didn't take you long to figure that one out. Well, you know, I thought these people were Christians. You know, I got this phone call the other day. And this dear lady, I don't know who she is. And, and God help her. And I, and I pray that she'll get saved. But she just had a beef with a congregation member. And she just, she didn't even give me the time of day. She just wanted to make sure I was a pastor figure so she could fill my ear with all her disgruntles. She's never visited our church the time that I know of. She, she's only met this person and whatever... Her, and, she, and, and I'm trying to calm her down. And ma'am, you've never been here. You're, you, it didn't work. Ah, forgive me. Everyone's going to go into hyperventilation mode. But I hung up on her. She wouldn't 
stop. And I couldn't speak and it wasn't working. You know, on the surface and at face value, we all realize the church has problems. But the problem comes when those problems, those people problems, those problem people, and imperfections begins to affect our life. Begins to offend us or you personally or some segment of your family. Now this is different. Right? So here in our text is this magnificent statement of the establishment of the church. This entity that Jesus will use to reach the world and to rescue sinners. Magnificent, amazing. Yet the reality is that within the four walls of any congregation are all sorts of people at different spiritual levels of maturity, different backgrounds, different upbringing. And he presents the church as an institution that is filled with so many problems and issues. You know, all you have to do is read the letters to the Corinthian church. And you'll see all sorts of problems. I remember one time I was having a conversation with somebody that uh, left the church years ago, left the church and uh, they'd been well established. And then they, they had all these issues because they saw preachers fail and this fail. And I, I stopped them and I said, hold on. Have you ever read the Bible? What is so unique about all that? It's happened throughout history. Why all of a sudden? Because it's affecting our world. And now we have to process these failures. Or is it such a big issue? It happened from day one. Why all of a sudden is this church a horrible church? Because all these things. And it's happened from day one. Have you ever read about the Corinthian church? Oh my gosh. Some of you would have written that church off. There was carnality. There was division. There was sin. People were getting drunk. I mean all sorts of craziness. People taking each other to, to, the, to the courts. Yet it didn't cause God or Paul to think any less of the church and what God wanted to do in it. God was still moving in it, as a matter of fact. He addressed it. That's why we preach. We address things. We deal with things. But at the end of the day, it's God's church. And, and it brings me to the conclusion that many have a very wrong view and mentality of the church. That somehow the church is not supposed to have any of those things that we just mentioned that the New Testament Corinthian church had. Or it's a bad church, bad church. Those are bad people down there. After all, we're supposed to be Christians. You know, the church in all of its glory is made up of some very flawed people. And so we need to remember where we came from. And we all need to know and recognize our own flaws tonight. See, here's Jeremiah and God brings him to the potter's house. And he begins to observe as the Potter is putting the clay on the wheel and he's beginning to shape that clay. And listen to what God, uh, he says here in Jeremiah 18, 3 and 4. I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred. It was damaged. It was flawed. 
in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel and it seemed good to the potter to make. Did you catch that? It's this flawed piece of clay. It represents you and I. He didn't just take it, you lousy piece of clay. No, he took it off. And and let me give you some insight, because I took four years of art in high school. Amen. That was my elective of choice. Four years of PE, four years of art. I was a straight A student. Amen. And so so I've worked with clay, and it actually was the only fun thing I did in art. And so, uh, so, so you sit down, you, you take your clay, but you have to prepare the clay. You take this, this, uh, this string type and, and, or a wire and you, you cut the clay and then you take it and you mold it. And then you cut. And what you're doing is you're getting all of the air bubbles out. And also you hope to detect any little pieces of hard clay or dried pieces or rocks or anything. If you don't get the air bubbles out or don't get... The little rock or pebble, it doesn't matter how small it is, it's, it's flawed. And you, you'll know when you put it on the wheel and it starts going, it's just going. So you wet your hands and you get in there and you start to try to bring that thing into conformance. And you're trying to balance it and slowly you balance it. And pretty soon it's all balanced. And you start working it up and then you cover it out and then you stick your finger in and you start making it. Which, well, the problem is if it has an air pocket. That somewhere in that process, you're going to be enlarging it, and the air pocket's going to hit, it's going to explode, and the whole thing's going to go. <laughs> so you just scrape, you get your, you scrape the clay off, you go back, you remold it, and you put it back on and use it again. That's what happened here. Because here's the church in all its glory it's flawed. Amen. We are flawed people. Bunch of flawed people in the process of God working and molding our lives. That's the church. I used to carry a card with me. It looked like a little Dennis the Menace kid. uh, And it said, be patient with me. God's not finished. I probably should still have it. I don't know why I got rid of it. (laughs) Just pull it out when you, okay, be patient with me. God's not finished. You know, there's flaws. I'm not talking about obstinate people that are not willing to change and have no desire. I'm talking about we're in the process. God's working on us. We're still the church. We're still God's people. So the problem is that some people think that the imperfections disqualify God's church. It's a faulty mindset. Here's the greater problem. And that is that people are discontent with the church and members of the church. And what happens, it becomes a breeding ground now for greater problems. So your perception of problems actually makes you a problem if you don't process it correctly. Because now you're going out of your way to point out all the problems and and let everybody know the flaws of this person and that person and that music group and this thing. And now you're the problem. They've just exposed your flaw. But see, the problem is we don't see it. If you have a problem with the church and the people of the church, an unresolved problem that that you perceive, not, you know, you obviously do not understand or have a biblical view of the church. They're, They're there. You don't have to look very deep. Don't have to look very deep at all to find them. 
They don't have to be spiritual at all to find them. By the way, it didn't take one ounce of discernment. It's important to say because people that run around the fault finders of the church think they're, they're on the spiritual level of discernment and I can see right through it. No, no, no. You're seeing the obvious, honey, guy, whatever. Same thing everyone else sees. For everyone that speaks out against the church and the people, but don't end up catching yourself, because we'll all do it at times. And backtracking, you know what? You know what it is? You're not going to like to hear this. It is an indictment against yourself. That's what it is. Because it shows me that you have stopped growing in critical areas of your life. Listen to what he said to those Corinthians that had so many problems. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual, but as carnal, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? You know, the church is profoundly relational. And so what this tells me about people that get a grudge on the people of God or get a grudge on the church or have all these issues and you're always pointing out the issues, what it tells me is you are failing in your relationships. That's what it tells me. James says in James 5, 9, do not grumble against one another. Brethren, Unless you, the grumbler, becomes condemned, behold, the judge is at the door. You better be careful if you're going there. Now let's remember a principle in the Word of God. It's found in Matthew 12, 25. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. That's a principle. Yes, Jesus was saying that in reference to something, but it's a principle. And here's where church can take a major hit. Not when the flaws and the problems are manifesting. Don't freak out. It's, it's a normal part of the growth of a church and people. But when those flaws and problems begin to create division among groups in the church... Division in ministries. You know, if all your ministry practices is a bunch of people, blah, 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 and about this person, that person, this ministry, and that, whoever's a leader, you better get control of that. Because that's not God. Backbiting, slander, gossip becomes the response to the imperfections of people. You know, people that begin to bring accusations against the church when the problem is that you're not resolving your own issues of heart. That's the issue. I don't, folks, I do not need not one peep, not one amen to preach. I'm so content. As a matter of fact, I don't like preaching in churches that every time you're going, yeah, but preach it, you're interrupting me. You're invading my Holy Ghost space. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. You know, people that I'm almost done and then we'll go on. Okay, I know. I can feel your uncomfortableness. People that sit around 
And all they do is talk about people in the church. Blah, blah, blah. You see that? You see that? That person? Oh, oh, I see that. Girls can be the worst sometimes. And I know you may think you're being discerning and spiritual and pointing out the church's problems, but actually you're being really, really carnal. There, I said it. I'm glad I said it, and I feel really good about that. (laughs) You know, in spite of all of its imperfections, God has ordained the church as His representation in the earth. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So let's then conclude with the church, God's answer. Because the church is God's answer to a fallen world. And if we can overcome our own internal conflicts, we can win the world. In our text, in verse 18, he said, The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. While the devil has developed his strongholds in the world, in people's lives and families, and created all manner of dysfunction, God says, I will combat that through my church. That's the power of the church. The reality is, if the church is God's answer, then guess what? The devil's going to attack it. Because the church really is the devil's biggest problem. Matter of fact, the church is what holds back the devil's agenda. If the church wasn't here, even if in its total dysfunction today, in the nonsense that's happening, there's still enough that God has in the earth of voices and people. Uh, Things would have been ransacked in our nation long ago, far beyond what they are. The church is the devil's biggest problem. And he knows that. So your life will either be used as a strategy for the devil or a strategy for God. For or against his church. So let me talk in closing about three unique elements in his church that will cause us to prevail. The first of those has to do with fellowship. This is the bond of the church from member to member. This is what keeps the devil from taking over within the four walls. Because he's always working. That's why worship is so important. We're establishing dominion. In the assembly as we worship and glorify God that breaks the powers of hell that want to invade a church service. Fellowship. And the devil's greatest expression within the church is carnal people that won't resolve conflicts with other people. That's his greatest asset within the church. Carnal people that will not resolve, that will not resolve, that will not resolve conflicts with other people. God's ultimate goal is that we, the members of the church, would function in the spirit of fellowship. Do we have to all see eye to eye for that to happen? No. Do we have to agree unanimously unanimously all the time? Absolutely not. For fellowship to be at work? No. But at the end of the day, it's the common bond of Jesus Christ, that foundation I talked about. It's the common bond of the vision for souls and for God in His redemption and doing something for God that wins out at the end of the day. And this word fellowship begins to take root in a church. This is an important part of a pioneer church is developing this. 
Because we all come in as these individuals and we are to become members of one another. That is a tall order. And it is something God has to do. And it's not something you can have with anyone else but a fellow Christian. As a matter of fact, the Bible forbids this word outside of God's people. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what? Fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness. You can't have this biblical spiritual word with anybody outside. You can have acquaintances. You can have connections and certain levels of relationship. But you cannot and are forbid to have fellowship. Now that's a whole other sermon too that I don't have time to go into. And God's ultimate goal is that we, the members of the church, would function in the spirit of fellowship. Uh, and fellowship in its true meaning is all about, it's the, it's the same idea when, when God speaks about marriage, the two becoming one, that bond that takes place. Uh, it, it means sharing lives together, having common ground, even though we come from such different backgrounds and having shared interests. That's the word fellowship. Uh, that wins out at the end of the day, that God placed this in His church as one of the preserving elements. The second thing is He placed prayer in the church. One man said, a church that prays together stays together. Jesus summarized His church as a house of prayer in Matthew twenty-one thirteen. He said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. So prayer is God's chosen weapon for His church. It is also a means of God's people Staying spiritually connected to the source, uh, which will bring us to resolving the unresolved conflicts within the surroundings of our lives. That's a tall order. You gotta, you gotta battle that one every single day, resolving the unresolved conflicts. It's never acceptable, ever, ever, ever acceptable that you just accept a level of conflict in your life that you're not trying actively to resolve and that at least you pray every single day about it and put it in God's hands and practice forgiving no matter how deep the violation was. I know, I just said a lot, but God will help you. If your answer is to just leave the church because of people you don't like or don't get along with or your perceived imperfections, then that is an accusation against your spiritual status. The third thing God placed as a preserver is the Holy Spirit. God gave His Holy Spirit in order to empower the church as well as to unify it. On the day of Pentecost, out of a prayer meeting, Acts 2-1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord together in one place. Once they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, there was a new energy and power associated with the church. They were unified in their effort to make an impact for Jesus Christ. You know what the big problem is? When people become busy bodies, as the Bible speaks of, they just have too much free time on their hands. Get involved in evangelism. Get involved in soul winning. If you're going to get involved with people, stay away from the dirty elements of the church and just help them serve God. Don't feel it's your task to fill in everybody and 
this and that and, and, and make your little cronies that follow you around like Madonna or Lady Gaga or somebody. You know, just act saved and be full of the Holy Spirit and impart that to other people. Because this is the equipping that transcends every generation and trumps the powers of darkness. It is the power of the Holy Spirit in God's church. God gave us the Holy Spirit baptism so that the church can prevail. And let me say this as I close. God has no plan B. The church is his plan. You may give up on the church. God doesn't. And again, if you've given up, especially on a church like this, that's very unique in a lot of ways. It's an indictment against you, man. It's on you. You may hate to hear that. and You'll be on the way out wagging your tongue. Wag away, man. But it's true. Because God has no plan B. What happens if these people just don't get along and don't make it work? Well, then, but God knows it will. He knows it will. The church is his plan. So get on board with what God is doing. And let's press in for revival. And let's press in for breakthrough. Resolve your issues. Recommit to the prayer place. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Because here is God's masterpiece. Isn't it wonderful? Amen. God's masterpiece. The good... The bad and the ugly, and God loves it. Amen. Let's bow our heads. God is good. I felt really, really inspired about this particular sermon and the one to follow it that's going to really help you. You know, the devil's just always tampering, always tampering, always tampering. You're here tonight, you're not right with God. This is the number one issue of your life. You're not right with God. It's a scary prospect to exit this life and enter the next without Jesus Christ. That's not a pleasant thought at all because there's only heaven or hell. The Bible makes it very clear that the way to heaven, number one, is a narrow way. Few there be that find it, that a whole lot less people are going to find their way to heaven than to hell. And it all begins and is all about Jesus Christ. He died for us. He shed innocent blood for us. He became the one and the only way back to God. So many people have so many different philosophies and beliefs and all. Well, I'm going to bring you to the truth because my life was set free. This church is filled with people with bondage, dysfunction, anguish of life. Jesus Christ entered the scene through repentance. You're seeing a church filled with miracle people tonight. Far from perfect, that's not what God saved us to be. Growing in Christ, but you're here and you don't have any of that. You need Jesus tonight. There is no other way to heaven. You cannot get there on good works. You cannot get there on your own merit. 
It is through Jesus Christ and through Him alone. We live in a generation that desperately needs to ask God for forgiveness. Have crossed so many lines, so many boundaries, and and it is living out in such dysfunction and brokenness. Whole generation is being lost, but you're here under the sound of my voice, and you have the opportunity of a lifetime to come to Jesus Christ, have your sins forgiven, your life radically changed. You don't have to pay a penny out of your pocket for it. Just confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. Ask Him to forgive you. Acknowledge Him. You shall be saved. Believe that God raised Him from the dead on the third day. You're ready to do that tonight. I want to ask you to do something for me. I want you just to lift your hand up. You're ready to get right. Thank you so much. You're ready to get right with God. Who else? I need Jesus tonight. I realize that I'm not where I need to be with God. I'm not serving Him. I'm serving me, my purpose, my agenda. I throw a little bit of God in there to try to make myself feel better, but that doesn't work. Jesus becomes the consuming part of our lives. Just the same way He surrendered everything for you on a cross, He expects us to surrender all that we are for Him. You haven't done that. You recognize you haven't done that. You're ready for forgiveness. I want you to lift your hands. God's dealing with you right now. Come to Jesus. You're backslidden. It's time to come back. This is not time to be away from God. Recommit your life to Christ. Who else? With His honest heart, you lift your hand. You know what? I'm not right with God, but I'm ready to get right tonight. Pray with me. Pray with me tonight. Who would that be? Anybody else? Very quickly. Lift your hand up so I can see it. Put it right back down. Okay, you lifted your hand. Did you mean that tonight? Yes? And I want you to come. Somebody's coming with her. Every other head is bowed. Every other eye is closed. The church, God's masterpiece. But it's got so many problems. So many problem people. Well, hopefully you're reading your Bible and you won't become so disillusioned and you realize that that's God's church. Now, there are certain things that God has required that we keep the church clean of, like sexual immorality is one of them, which we do around here. God does not require us to deal with every single issue of every single person's life every time they have a flaw and a downfall and a failure. There's a God in heaven that's at work. There's there's this unique arena of fellowship that will help work that out. There's relationships that will help. There's preaching and and you're getting preaching all the time. Maybe you're one of those that has become disillusioned and you found yourself speaking against God's church. You're speaking against God's people. You need to repent tonight. It's not right. It may be totally true, the things you're saying, but it's not right. Maybe you're one of those that you're just a busybody. You're always in everyone's business. You're always the gossip of the church. You're faithful that if anything's happening, you know about it. And you're going to get your cronies around you and fill their minds with all the muck and gook. And you're you're nothing but an offense to the Spirit of God when you do that. You think you're being discerning because you're pointing it out. No, it doesn't take a spiritual person to point out problems in the church. You don't have to have one ounce of spirituality in you whatsoever to point out the problems of the church. 
promoters of unity. That's what we need to be. What it is many times when we've come to the place that all we see is the problems, it's really an indictment against your own spiritual status. Because those things aren't going to go away mysteriously somehow and then you're going to be happy and love them. No, no, no. You're going to learn how to deal with them and process them as a Christian is supposed to. Can you imagine if we as pastors dealt with the way some of you do? We would have walked out of the pulpit and never come back. So there's a lot that's been said, but we need to bring it to the altar tonight. and Really, really decide, you know, because this isn't the first time you've heard this stuff. When are you going to decide? That's it. I'm done with this way of dealing with stuff. I'm done with my nasty habits of gossip and slander and always making the problems of the church the focus and looking to make my agenda one that points out all the flaws that everyone seems to over. Just give it to God, man. It's God's church. This is God's ordained institution. This, like it or not, this is what God's going to use all the way to the end till Jesus comes back. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And it doesn't have to be perfect for God to move in it. So we're standing and we're coming to the altars tonight and we're laying things for, before God. We're lining our conversation, our words with what God says. We're going to say, God, I'm sorry and I'm, I want to value your church. I want to value the membership of the congregation that you've blessed me with. Where would we be without the church? Where would we be in our crisis moment? You know, you have access here. Do you understand how big that is? You can walk into Pastor Stephen's office in your crises and you can just talk with him and get counsel. You know how, how, more, how rare that is in the religious world? You have a pastor. You have a shepherd. I'm here with him in prayer every morning and You can't but hear his voice. But I'm hearing your names. I'm hearing your names when he's praying. And this is not a sermon to condone some of the problem areas of our lives. You need to be growing in Christ and outgrowing some of the immaturity. This is not to condone and and now you can go say, ah, leave it alone. I'm not perfect. And that's not what I'm saying at all. God does expect us to be coming to maturity. That word perfect is in the Bible, but it's a word that means coming to maturity. Constantly growing and changing and altering the way we are. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithful word. Thank you for the institution of your church. I thank you for these people. Every member tonight, God, I thank you. We are blessed to be in fellowship with one another. Thank you, Lord, my God, wonderful Savior. Yeah, I want to say something. And it's only going to apply to a segment of you. I don't know how much, but 
Some of you, it is your habit. Now, we all have our moment. We have our vent session or we, we start and we catch ourselves and then you divert back and realize I was stupid. Why did I say those things? Some of you, you don't catch yourself. It is the habit of your life to speak down on the church, to speak down on people, to always point the flaws out, to traffic in the problems of the church. Like is it somehow some spiritual high calling. And I want to challenge you if, if God's pinning you and you're being honest, if you're being truly honest with yourself, to, to start by repenting at this altar but say, you know what? I'm going to wage war against this in my life. I am going to wage war until it breaks. And you're going to go back to the best you can and you're going to fix all those people you messed up by spewing on them that are still in the church today, that are still saved today. You took them into your little world, you screwed them up with all your spewing and then off they go and then they wonder what happened. Some of you are in and out of friendships. You change friends as often as people change clothes. Can you put the common denominator? What do you think the problem is? Is it all those people that came into your life and supposedly burned you? And then you're, or the common denominator, you? I want you to be honest. I know this can hurt to have to deal with this. But I personally think that some of you really do want to be set free. You see it. You don't like it about your life. And tonight is your night to go on record and say, you know what, God? That's it. I'm dealing with it tonight. And every time it rears its nasty little head in my life, I'm going to call it what it is. And I'm going to wage war against it until I am set free. And that I am one that is not only one that's in fellowship with my brethren. I am going to edify. That means I'm going to build I'm not going to make my task to tear down. and I'm going to do it. What can I do to invest in that person, to help that person, to help them in their problems, to help them in their flaws? It'll set you free. Totally, absolutely set you free, and you will take off in the things of God. Take off. I want you to stand and bow your heads. We need to confess what God confesses. Every head is bowed. This is God's masterpiece. And trust me, I look, I've made every mistake that I've ever preached on. Okay? I'm not trying to be above it. I've made every mistake and more. Look, you don't you don't pastor very long if you don't get this under control. And I've been there and I have sown things in the churches I've pastored and I've had the whole I've God like like a, not that he did this the way I felt. Like he was, he's like a dog when he poops in your house and you put his nose in it. It's like God was doing that. Look what you put into your church. Here I am complaining about. No, you put that in there. And I've had the task in one occasion uh, of having to undo. God says, if you're going to stay here, then you're going to undo this. Otherwise, you're moving on. You know what? By the grace of God, I can say today that it was undone. And God taught me lessons of a lifetime through that about myself. That's what we really need to see tonight. So we're just going to worship God. And you know what I want you to thank him for? I want you to thank him for the church. I want you to thank him for the membership of the church. And every good thing that the church represents. And just thank him tonight. Let's lift our voices. Let's just begin to worship. Father, we thank you tonight. 
Oh, God, you're holy, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the divine institution of the church of Jesus Christ, Lord. We thank you for the membership of one another, oh, God. Lord, we know it is the apple of your eye. Oh, God, your ordained institution. Lord, you are worthy, God. You are precious. You are holy. Your name is great. We thank you for saving us, God. Lord, that you've set us free. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary's tree. Oh, Lord, we magnify. Just lift your voices and worship God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord and Savior, righteous King, wonderful God. Hallelujah, my Lord, my Savior, wonderful King. Righteous and holy, my Lord, we thank you. Thank God. Amen. What a, what a glorious thing. Amen. Think about it. You know, you got to go back sometimes and remember when you first got saved and just how amazing it all was. Far from perfect. And we were the most imperfect of them all. Uh, I was such a problem child to my pastor. How he kept a full head of hair, I don't know. But boy, man, you know, I remember the early days and just the, the, the anticipation of being in church again and what's God going to say to us and the next outreach. And, and we can get so disillusioned when we get down the road and just kind of disconnected. You know what? Let's fall in love again with God's church. Fall in love again with one another. It'll revolutionize your walk with God. It really will. I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but it will. Amen. Let's make that the goal from this altar forward some of you get, got a fight on your hands but if you'll make the commitment tonight god will set you free and he did a work a magnificent work in your life amen thank you jesus we had a great day we want to go rejoicing